Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today on the What Fuels You podcast, I'm chatting with Sherelle Klaus, CEO and founder of Dry Soda Company. Sherelle is a Pacific Northwest native and has had a strong entrepreneurial curiosity from the time she was little. In 2005, when she was nursing her fourth child, she was frustrated that there wasn't a sophisticated non-alcoholic beverage that she could enjoy. So she solved the problem herself by creating one in her kitchen, and that was the launch of Dry Soda Company. Almost 15 years later, Dry is now in over 9,000 stores, including big names like Kroger and Safeway, and is one of the fastest-growing natural beverage brands in the nation. She is also an incredible mom to four children and a good friend. Welcome, Sherelle. Thank you for having me be here, Shauna. Of course. And thanks. I mean, you came like straight from an airplane. So Yes, I did. Extra big nugget. <laughs> Extra big shout out. Anything for okay. you. I love you. Okay, we're starting with rapid fire. Okay. Okay, ready? Place you'd most like to visit in your airstream. Grand Canyon. Best word to describe you as a leader. Collaborative. I like that. Do you prefer to sell, raise funds, or create? Sell. How old were you when you first got a tattoo, and what does it mean? <laughs> uh, my first tattoo was not until I was 37. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to have tattoos when I was 18, but I waited. I wanted to wait till I was 40 to make sure I wanted them. Nice. You um, almost made it. 37. I, I almost, almost made it. 40. So yes. which one is it? It's the world that's on my back because okay. I want to travel the world. Okay, and you're doing that, which is yes. super cool. Favorite dish to pair with dry soda? Oysters with uh, blood orange. Oh, nice. Dry sparkling. Okay, I wish I ate oysters. I do like the dry soda uh, orange flavor, but I don't eat oysters. What else can I put with orange? Oh, gosh, so many things. Fried chicken is amazing with oh, the blood orange. Oh, I love yeah. fried chicken. Yeah. Love you, and I'm so excited that you're here. So tell me, um, I know that you grew up in Bend, Oregon, which is like people tend to leave Seattle and go to Bend. It's so yeah. beautiful there. It is beautiful there. It sounds like a craziest, beautiful childhood place to be raised. It was really fun. Um, I, we moved there when I was in fifth grade and, um, I loved it immediately and it's just, there's so many things to do outside and then just, it's such a community. Yeah. Um, it was, it's kind of funny because we, all of my friends, we were so excited to get out of that town because it was 20,000 people back when yeah. I left and we just were like, we got to get out of here and we're I'm done. not a small town girl. So I was yeah. like, get me the heck out of here. And, um, where did you move to Bend from? Uh, Eugene, Oregon. Oh, yeah. So, so it's not, just, yeah. not that crazy. No. And, but I'm, yeah. I, I was meant to live in New York. So. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but somehow I got stuck in Bend. But anyway, so I, ironically, no, all my friends, almost all my friends from high school have moved back. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like people do. And yeah. I mean, similar to like Mercer Island, where I grew up. Yeah. And it's tw ironically 22,000 people. Yeah. And even though it's, you know, five minutes yeah. to a city, it's um, it's a town. Yeah. And, and it's got that community yeah. feeling. And I think people crave that, especially nowadays. It's hard to find. Yeah. And just it was a great place to be raised as a child because we just had yeah. so much freedom and we had such a good time. Yeah. We, and who were you like little? I think we would have gotten into a lot of trouble. <laughs> I think it's probably good we didn't know each other. So like fifth grade Sherelle, like what, what fueled you back then? What were you into? 
Um, I was really competitive, sort of academically competitive, um, and I had ADD, so I could never sit still. And I always had ideas and things I wanted to do. And I kind of I created, I think my f- my first real entrepreneurial experience, I think, happened in fourth grade. Um, but I got in trouble all mm-hmm. the time for well, talking kids with, in class. Kids with ADD, me too. I was yeah. like, shows potential, <laughs> easily distracted. Was, exactly. If, she, if Sherry <laughs> could just be quiet. They used to call me Sherry. Oh, they did? Yeah, that's my nickname. So Cute. I yeah, don't think little I little Sherry. Sherry. <laughs> no. You're not a Sherry. No, I You're know. You're a Sherelle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so was something, um, having ADD something you were kind of aware of or insecure about? Um were you diagnosed or you just knew it? No, no, no. I was diagnosed. Yeah. I was full on. I, my mom put me on like this crazy diet where I couldn't eat any red food coloring. I still get really spazzy if I have like red food coloring. Um, but it was really – that was terrible. So I was – I still haven't forgiven my mom for that one because like I couldn't have any sugar or anything. So during when all the kids were having the parties, you know, in their classes, I had to eat these weird sesame crackers and drink apple juice whereas everyone else was getting soda and cake. Yeah. Um, so that lasted a couple years and then I was – then I was put on medication – yeah. Um, did it help? Yeah, it did. I, you know what? I, I like my ADD. It gives me a ton of energy and it certainly helped at the beginning of dry. Um, and I've learned to deal with it now, but yeah. I always sort of was just very different. I mean, I, I had a lot of friends and everything, but it was just different and I didn't mind that. Yeah. But I didn't like not being able to eat the cake. Yeah. And so, <laughs> still she's like, and I still want to eat my cake. <laughs> and so, um, were you clear on kind of if you look back, kind of what you valued or what you thought, if I am like this, I will have arrived. Oh, yeah. I was very clear from a really young age what I wanted to do. I was very independent and not really very that very connected to my family. I was very clear on I was going to go to New York and I was going to become a CEO or Secretary of State, take either one. Um, and I just knew that I had big things in store. You're such a good mom. Did you you. always know you wanted to have a lot of kids? Yeah. 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 I had a lot of energy and I wanted to have my own family. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I I always wanted a lot of kids. I just didn't know quite how that was going to work with having a big career being Secretary of State. But I knew I had to have, if I was going to do that, I was going to have to have a husband that was like going to be willing to be a stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm. Had, and did you find that? I did. We, Yeah, Jim, Jim, my wonderful, wonderful ex-husband, um, was did half-time stay-at-home with the kids, and then I would. We would go back and forth. That's really hard to find. Not the stay-at-home part, but just the kind of true partnership. Yeah. Oh, we have a true, and we still to this day have an amazing partnership that, as you've heard me talk about so much, that I yeah. am... That could, be a, that could be a podcast in itself, like how to yeah. stay friends with your ex spouse. Yeah, because he's like one of my best friends. Yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah. He's... <laughs> I love that. I think it's cool. Um, and so you valued the idea of living a big life. Yes. And were you driven by kind of affirmation or money or? It's new experiences. Just new experiences. Yeah. So for me, it's not money. I mean, if money can buy me new experiences, great. It's all about, I I mean, my when I was a kid, I always assumed I would visit every country in the world, which is why I have the world tattooed on my back is it didn't dawn on me that that would probably be difficult to do. Um, I just wanted to see I wanted to see everything. I wanted to experience everything. My mom used to get nervous because she thought mm-hmm. I would like get into. Where did that come from? Um, I don't know. I'm adopted, mm-hmm. so I'm not at all like my family that I grew up with. I'm right. very different. And from they were all of like them. more religious and more kind of family, stay home. Yeah, stay focused. at home. My mom was a stay at home mom. My dad was. I don't know. He just. He was sort of like was he around um, a, a bit. Yeah, I wasn't very close to him at all. I had such clear visions of what I wanted. Yeah. 
And I was very different from my brother. And Have you met your adopt your um, yeah. birth parents? Yeah, I know both my birth parents now, and they're both very entrepreneurial. Interesting. Yeah, it's really funny because I spent last Thanksgiving with my birth father and my um, birth sister, half sister, and and it was very funny to be. It was like we were four days in a house, and I'm like, oh, holy crap. I see all my obnoxious personality traits. <laughs> in a good way. They might be listening to this podcast. <laughs> they will, and it's just funny because I adore them. But you, when you're adopted, you don't have anything that you share with other people. So to actually see that for the first time in my life, truly, yeah. that was the first time I'd spent that much time with them. Yeah. How old like, were you when you learned you were adopted? I'd always known. My parents always just you know told I always knew I was adopted. And did you always want to meet? How old were you when you met your birth? I was 18. Parents. And I thought Rick Springfield was my birth father, so I really wanted to meet him. Are they married? No, they were really young. Yeah. So, no, they're not married. They each have their own separate families. Interesting. Yeah. And then you had um, your first young. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, my first at 27. That's pretty young. That's not that young. Well, yeah. I, I mean, guess I think of it as, yeah, I guess I think, <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. Yeah, We're okay. definitely going to get to that grandma. Um, and so then you, okay, so now we're leaving Bend, Oregon and mm-hmm. coming to school in Seattle. How'd you mm-hmm. pick Seattle? Um, is this the big city? Well, no, I'll be honest. Uh, so this is, this goes back to my mom's religious things is she would only pay for my, she was only going to pay for my first year of college and she would only pay for it if I went to a Christian school. Okay. So it's like, whatever. I mean, it's fine, but that yeah. wasn't my, that was not Where my choice. Where would you have I, gone? NYU? Yeah. Really? I wanted, oh, for sure. I wanted to go. Well, I don't know that I would have gotten into NYU. I was just telling Willa this yesterday because yeah. I have a daughter that's at NYU and I was just saying I'm so proud. So you would have gone somewhere else, but you I would have gone to at, New York. At, okay. So New York. And Maybe. I also would, was kind of interested in going internationally abroad. Um, mm-hmm. I was even looking at um, South Africa, interestingly enough. I had sort of, I know, but I didn't. I ended up going to SPU. Yeah. And I actually had a really good experience there my first year. That sort of surprised me, and I developed some really good friendships, and I had some really amazing professors. I also had some really negative experiences there. Where I felt like there were some very closed minds there that were very—it was very uncomfortable for me. Um, but yeah, I decided you, to stay. I mean, you—you're um, one of the most open-minded people that I know. Yeah. And so to be in an environment where maybe people were raised in homes that um, were more fundamentalist, and yeah, kind of that's. I got in a lot of fights with my classmates constantly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I surprised just... that you spoke up. <laughs> I know it's sort of shocking, but I did every once in a while. Yeah. And so, so you got married young and ended up um, finishing your degree. Did you get married in? I got married college? in between my, yeah, in between my sophomore and junior year. I was 20 years old. Wow. I got married four months. No, I got married nine months from our first date. And so you got married, had, um, your first at age 27. 27. Yeah. And then, um, God, four kids. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. Where in there did you um, decide that you had the energy and time and resources um, to pursue your entrepreneurial? Because you had some roles and some jobs in between Mm -hmm. there. Yep. Yeah. What types of jobs were you doing? So um, when I got pregnant with Anna, I was working for Price Waterhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a consultant. And so when I I lived in D.C. for 10 years. And during that time, I did public works, um, public private partnerships, so mm-hmm. different public works type things, uh, airport privatization, things like that, which I thought was really interesting. It was sort of combined my love of entrepreneurial and politics. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then I had, so that's where I was working with mm-hmm. when I got pregnant with Anna. And then um, once I had Anna, I couldn't leave her. It was really weird. I like went on maternity leave and I was one of those women that just didn't come back. 
And I went, I like, I carried her into this like restaurant in downtown Washington, D.C. to meet with my boss and just said, I'm sorry, I can't leave this baby. That's Which was scary to do. <laughs> I mean, because I really was, I cared a lot about my career. Yeah, you did care a lot about your yeah. career. And I feel like you're also really big on women's equality and yeah. um, women's empowerment. And so... Would you have told your younger self, like, don't get off the train? Or are Not you at all. As a matter of fact, choice? I'm so glad. It was the smartest decision I ever made. And I actually have a whole belief that women should be able to go on and off the train and that even when we take time um, and get off that train, I learned so much during that time. And a lot of what I learned while being a mom to two babies under the – my daughters are a year and two weeks apart. So I had these two babies. I was living in D.C. and then we moved out in the country of Virginia – I learned so much, so much that has really helped me in my career, time management, multitasking, negotiation. And it's, I think being a stay-at-home mom is an incredible experience, and it is the thing I am, one of the most things I'm proud of. And actually, if you ask me what I'm most proud of accomplishing in my life, it is teaching my two daughters to read. Like, I sat down with them every day and went through this little reading book because I was homeschooling them, and I taught them to read. That is something that um, is incredibly inspiring, and I love what you talk about. And I also love kind of your positioning on it because I feel like women are usually on one side. Like, yeah, yeah I'm a stay-at-home or I work. Mm -hmm. And this in-between of realizing that you should be able to do both mm -hmm. and that both are valuable. They are, and I, I wouldn't trade it. And I've done it two different times. Or as a stay-at-home mom for a while, then I started a company, and Jim stayed home with the kids mm -hmm. or the girls. And then when I got pregnant with my third child, and just what was the company that you started before? Planet, Drive? Planet Squid. It was a secured internet portal for ten to thirteen year olds, and it was in the late nineties, just when things were getting started. It was a really cool concept. It didn't get very far because it was around the time of our second round of financing. That internet bubble burst, and it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. How did you know what you were doing? I didn't. You didn't. Oh my god! I have the funny you, stories which we will not tell here. No, but I like, think we should. Oh my god. Bring it. I, oh my gosh! Like so. Okay, so you're like, I think I'm going to start a technology company, and <sighs> so you incorporate the company and find a name. Yeah, uh, I did not in that order. I did not know what I was doing. And there are some tech investors, like some of those <laughs> angel investors, that I still try to hide from because it's like a, so embarrassing. The presentation I did, I did not know what I was doing. Well, you got the, you got them to invest. I got some. Yeah, I definitely got some people to invest, and I think the concept itself is really cool. But what I found was I didn't really care about the technology. What I cared about was building a brand. And build, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And what was the company? Like what was it, it was so it was a secured internet portal for 10 to 13 year olds, but we also had this sort of like Facebook component to it that was really interesting, but it would have been for just 10 to 13 year olds, right? And it was like about sharing whatever was big back then, Pokemon cards or whatever it was, but like finding ways to be able to share with anyway. I think it sounds really cool. It it, it was cool. And how long did it last? Well, it didn't actually ever even get launched because we were in the middle of all the building the technology yeah. and when it Yeah, went but what by. a cool experience. I mean, talk it was about super cool. Learning. It, exactly, and it's I don't know I don't think I could have done dry. I mean, I learned really important things. A, I learned I could raise money. I and mean, you if also I could learned that money. you could be fearless. Yeah, right? that you're exactly. like you're still alive, you're still standing, you're still breathing, you're still you yeah. Know, I have this thriving. funny story where, um, and we actually were at a dinner the other day where this guy was at, and he still acts like he has no idea who I am. But one time when I I got a meeting and it was with a he was a VC in this town, and. I he whatever the email I was reading down the chain of the email and I realized that he had accidentally forwarded me this that he didn't mean to but it basically said I have no idea why we have to meet with her this is ridiculous but we're doing it as a favor for the attorney 
<laughs> I was just, and I still went to the meeting and I was like, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> and did you bring it up or you just pretended that you didn't see it? Oh, I just pretended it? I didn't see it. But what's super so funny, funny about How that? How long did the meeting last? Um, probably like an hour. I mean, okay. I really appreciated that he gave me that time. And so um, what ended up ultimately bringing you from D.C. back to Seattle? Well, we had the two babies, the mm-hmm. two little girls, and it was getting really difficult like to be so isolated from their grandparents because our families were both here. And they were – I felt bad. I, I loved the East Coast, and I really did not want to leave. But I, I knew the importance of family. And um, Jim has a really lovely family that has lots of cousins and uncles and great-grandparents. And I thought that was really special, and I wanted to be near that. Mm-hmm. And I am really glad we did that. That was something that was really valuable. So you moved back here as a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, I was a stay-at-home mom. And so you're nursing your fourth baby, and you're realizing, like... So interestingly, what happened is after I had my son, Zane, he's my third kid, I knew I wanted to start another company. And so my idea was I'm going to wait till he's a year to a year and a half, and then I'm going to start a company. And I knew I wanted to build a brand, and I knew it needed to be something that I was passionate about because I experienced what happened when you do something that you're not passionate about. It's a little bit harder. So... I am passionate about, I'm a foodie. I am passionate about food and wine. And I, you know, reading the New York Times dining section every Wednesday was my favorite thing. It was my favorite day of the week. And it's my, it was my creative outlet. As a stay-at-home mom, as you know, I have a lot of energy. It was very difficult for me just to be home. So I used to make these elaborate meals every night and do these big parties for my daughters where I would make all this food. This was just, that was my outlet. So um, Zane was one and a half, and I was getting ready to start a company, and then I accidentally got pregnant with Finn, who is my fourth. <laughs> All four of my children were surprises. And so I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it means not one of them was planned. They were all like, what they're all accidents. Mean? You're married. Well, I mean, yeah, but we weren't like, you know. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the kids like to ask which one was the worst accident. I'm like, you all are. <laughs> Depends on the day. Exactly. Who's going to be nice to mommy today? Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, so these four accidents. Yes. So then, so I had to wait, and then, but I, the deal was I for sure was going to do it by the time Finn was one. So I was like, I'm sorry, buddy, but mommy's out when you're one. And I came up with, I, so I was just actively thinking about, you know, what would what would it be like to build a brand? What would that look like? And so in January, before he was 11 months old, I'm gonna, okay, so I didn't even give him a year. I January. Just, I'm just now realizing that just now <laughs> of the number of times I'm I've told this I can story. be helpful. <laughs> so I lied to my baby. That's the net net of that one. <laughs> anyway, and I came up with the concept of dry, okay. literally sitting in what I have. I used to have this chair in my house called the thinking chair, and I was sitting in my thinking chair, and I came up with the idea. Well, the name is so cool. Well, I was also sitting in that chair when I came up with the name, so thank you. It just sticks. And also, it says kind of what it is. Like, I'm dry. Yeah. Yep. If I'm exactly. dry, I mean, is that, that yeah. supposed to be yeah. linked? Yep. Okay, good. So I'm not just like this Nope, brilliant. you're not just making... <laughs> well, you are brilliant. <laughs> just not in this way. And so how did you go about getting... Who was your first customer? My first customer were restaurants here in Seattle. My very first one was Cascadia Restaurant, which oh, was nice. Carrie Sears Restaurant. And the way that I got that is I went and found a PR firm. So I created the product... Um, while I had all these kids at home, because you know mm-hmm. I was still. How do you create a beverage product? Um, I'm picturing like a science. Yeah, no, I did. Like I had like yep beakers and well, petri I, it, dishes. Yeah, they weren't petri dishes, but yeah, I had beakers and like a refractometer, and um, I learned. I had a. I got an hour lesson from a, a food scientist one Saturday afternoon. He called, and I mean, I 
And so where expensive. do you get the, I mean, literally, how do you do it? You you get uh, flavor extracts from flavor companies. So I had to get like special extractions so of these different flavors. So flavor companies. You're like, hey, it's me, Sherry. Yeah. And they're like, so? And so I had to do some, you know me, I had to do my thing and I got them to send me stuff. But then I had to create the recipes. Okay. So then you add the sugar, the water, the acid, whatever. And who was tasting them for you? So, um, well, I was, but I also would, once I got them to a certain level, I would take them to friends and family and then like, so I ha- would have these big groups basically. That's so cool. Yeah. And That's so fun. And what was the first flavor? There were four flavors, um, lavender, kumquat, rhubarb, and lemongrass. Very chic. Oh, so she-she. I know I am. <laughs> That's very she-she. That's like if you're, a, I mean, you feel like you're the cool, sober person. That's the whole point. I needed to find something that you could pair with food and that you could have in a really elegant restaurant. Yeah. And so I went and found the PR firm in Seattle that had been repping Tom Douglas because Tom Douglas was getting so much press. And I was like, well, whoever's doing his press is doing a good job. And it was Richmond Public Relations. And they actually got me my first 30 appointments with restaurants. And that's how I did it. I went I went around and they would schedule me these appointments all day long and I would just go sell to the chefs and sommeliers in Seattle. And, and Carrie so Sear was the so first one. So you just come in and you bring them samples. I had a small batch made. And then they were I thinking about kind of which um, foods to pair it with yep. or you were making suggestions. Like, For this sure. could go really yep. nicely with your blah, blah. Yep, because I studied all their menus before I ever went in. And it was really interesting because the chefs all were thrilled and they got it like right away. And the bartenders got it right away. The people that didn't get it right away were the sommeliers. They were very kind of snobby with me. And they're like, why would I talk to your soda company? And I'm like, just get riddle me this. Is it is it or is it not your job to to pair a beverage with a meal? Right. No matter what. It doesn't always have to be wine. And what are you going to do for your customers that aren't drinking? And that was the that was kind of a light bulb moment for a lot of them. But chefs got that right away because they knew their, there was many customers that don't drink. Mm-hmm. And you have to you need to be able to accommodate. So everybody. How, do you, how do you figure out who your target audience is? I mean, is it like pregnant women? Is it um, people who aren't 21 yet? Is it recovering alcoholics? Is it all of the above? It's all of the above. And I think there's different times in your life when you do drink or don't drink. And what's interesting is, I mean, there's even times of the week. Like some people right. just don't drink. drink My friend who's a dentist yep. is like, I don't drink during the week. Yep. But on the weekends, I might. Yeah, exactly. He has to so. be on his game at like six in the morning. So that was, and I mean, I knew that there was, there's, I mean, you could be on medication. There's all sorts of reasons yeah. why you don't drink. Not everyone in the world drinks. And I actually grew up in a family where we didn't drink alcohol. Yeah. So that was a very familiar thing to me. But I also, what's interesting is, as I like to say, is I think I was definitely way ahead of my time here because now we are here, what, almost 15 years later, and the millennial generation are calling themselves the sober generation. Alcohol sales are down third year in a row. There's this stuff called Sober Curious. There's lots of bars that are popping up now that serve only mocktails. So the mocktail culture is becoming really big. So Well, they're so um, body conscious, too. Well, yeah, and then dry and is the calories. Less, yeah, and, and dry doesn't yeah. have very much sugar in it. So yeah. it's dry, is, dry. What I'm trying to say is dry is perfect. I think that you're perfect also. And what I also <laughs> think is that it takes a lot of courage to go into a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd imagine if anyone could do it, you could do it. Thank you. And so have you had kind of things come up along the way that would surprise our listeners or I, not surprise them, I guess? I was going to say probably not surprise our female listeners. There's been a lot. I'm like literally in the middle of dealing with one of those things like right now. Um, and like harassment situations? Not, no, no, or no, like no, no, not, not taking harassment, you seriously. But, but dealing with when you confront a male who has a, a decent size ego, it can be more difficult if you're coming at them as a female. 
and then they retaliate. And I'm dealing with that right now, full on retaliation based off of because I've known this person for a really long time. And it's just things like this happen or I've I I mean, I've had it all happen Mm -hmm. right in the last 15 years. I when my with my first distributor, my second distributor down in L.A., you know, I was I, I was I was I I was relentless, but I was trying to get a lot done. And they basically told me they said, "We'll bring your product on. We're going to bring it in here, and we'll bring it up in Northern California. But you're not allowed to come into our offices. Your people can, but you can't because you're a relentless bitch." They said the word, the oh, B word. Oh yeah, I've been called that twice by two different people. But yeah, and I was like, "Well, I don't like, know." I'm just getting her done. The, exactly what I said. I'm like, I don't, "Who else is going to get this done?" And and I you sometimes you call them out on would you be saying that to somebody that doesn't have breasts? Yeah. Yes, no, maybe. I don't think so. So I think it's been for years I just tried to stuff a lot of that down and I didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. It's only recently that I've started even telling that relentless bitch story. And I've had I've been in big meetings where um, the head of the it was a big distributor and there's like 10 people in the room and he stopped me and said, so can you tell me this? Who's taking care of your kids right now? And then you're just like, <laughs> you just stopped a meeting to ask me that question. But there's... But maybe it was a compliment. Who's taking care of my children? Is yeah. that You think that's a compliment? Maybe he's saying, how incredible is it that you're... That was no. You know you and I get into these arguments about <laughs> this. Because I tend to see... I haven't had a lot of that happen to me. And I always think that... I always think that it's like positive. I'm yeah, no, I didn't positive. take it as positive because he was n- not at all. Because he was, he, I mean, because well, you're going back to like, well, would you say that to a man? Well, exactly. Like, what's the wh- why? Do, why? Like, why you is that relevant? Meeting. Yeah, you're like, why is that relevant? Yeah, and I did ask him that, and he said, well, because I wouldn't let my daughter do this. And oh, like, interesting. Okay, so it was negative. Well, yeah. So. <laughs> I see the world through rose-colored glasses. Um, Okay, so back to the non-drinkers. Is it Mm -hmm. bad that I'm like to put my dry with vodka? Not at all. Are people doing that? For sure. It's a great mixer. It is a great mixer. And interestingly, like the first restaurant I went to, which was Cascadia, Carrie and I, the chef, were sitting there and the bartender came over in like 10 seconds and was like, what is that? And started mixing it. So from the beginning, people have used this as a mixer because it does make a good mixer. That wasn't why I created it, but Mm -hmm. I certainly appreciate that it gets used that way a lot. Mm -hmm. I use it that way sometimes as well. And so, yeah, no, it's it's however you want to use the beverage. This was why I created it. But Mm -hmm. whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats your boat. Um, Maybe some dry with some vodka, a little orange twist. Yes. Sounds good to me. And so like at what point in the development of your company we feel like I've arrived? Is there is there a goal? You know, that's funny that you say that because I think as you know, I am turning 50 this summer and this last year has been a big year for me. It's been really interesting and it's caused me to realize there isn't any arriving. I feel like I have arrived. I feel like I've arrived in the sense that I have everything I've ever wanted. I get to be the CEO of a company. I have an all-female executive team who just delight me every single day. Like, I love this team, my whole team. I have these four kids that I get to spend time with. I get to travel. So for me, I have arrived. I've arrived at anything and everything I've ever wanted. Mm -hmm. So there isn't some big end point that that means that I have arrived. And I guess, do you feel successful? Oh, yeah. I feel very successful. I feel, yeah, I feel... 
like I have the life I always dreamed of having. Yeah. I wake up literally every morning like, how did I get this life? Yeah. So I think that's a really, really good point because it is, yeah. first of all, journey, like cheesy as it sounds, not a destination. But I do think that the older you get, the more you realize that. You're like, where am I trying to go? Well, and I Like think I've got it yeah. pretty good. I'm people, not wanting for anything. Well, and people ask me a lot, like, how do you manage, how do you have a work-life balance and all of that? And I think... What I've really learned is about being super present. And I know I've talked to you about this before, is I am so keenly, keenly aware of how little time I have left with my sons. One's 15, one's 17. And I already have my daughters that are gone. And, well, one's coming back. But I have, I have the two daughters that have, you know, that are off to college. And I think because of that, I am just so present in my life now that I'm not thinking about that next moment. What is it that I'm trying to get to? I'm really enjoying dry right now. I am enjoying my kids right now. And there isn't anything that I'm striving to get to, which is really funny. I had a whole conversation with a group of CEO founders last night when I was in New York around this. And some of them can't do that because I have one that he just sold his company. He's very successful. And now literally he had spent one weekend and now he's on to his next thing. Mm -hmm. And he was not understanding what I was saying. I, I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's it's easier said than done, though, the actual practice of it, right? So you're like, uh, I mean, it's all about mindfulness and being conscious about being present. I mean, it takes it, Yeah, it takes I think I effort. think it's because I'm, I, you know, after many years at Dry, and last year was a pretty difficult year at Dry, I was really exhausted. I was exhausted and knew that I was really close to burnout. And I don't think that's something we talk enough about, about how, what that feeling feels like when you start to feel like you're getting burned out. It's what one does of the that reason, feeling feel like? It's one of the reasons I decided to join EO. Just you, you're losing motivation. You're feeling, you're just feeling exhausted. You're feeling mentally exhausted. Mm -hmm. I think that weight, the weight, I just felt so weighty. Mm. And how did and you angsty. get out of it? EO helped? Just having like the accountability, um, the that, support? That helped. I think it was um, just taking a step back. I had to take a step back and say, okay. I had brought some new team members in and knew, knew I needed to bring even more new team members in and get focused more on what was that vision I had for mm -hmm. the company, not so much the day-to-day -day of the, the heaviness of the day-to-day. -day. And it was also my sons. I'm At the end of the day, it was just, I'm just so ever-present. And like my son, my oldest son walks down the stairs in the morning when I'm at the having my coffee and he comes around the corner and it's just like... It's just the greatest moment of my day. Like, I can't get over it. And all I can think is there's so few of those left that it just causes me to be completely present. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> well, it, it's I, and I like I feel it. I feel it like I just feel it like I it's like there's just so this is so cool. And like I was telling you, all four of my kids will be home tomorrow and I could not be happier. I think that my I have, I'll give my sons a lot of credit for helping me feel very present. Yeah. And you know that I'm always in awe of this part of you, um, just the independence and the confidence. And it's real. I mean, because we talk openly about a lot of stuff. Yeah. But when when do you feel scared? Um, I feel scared when I feel most scared is when I think, am I going to let any this is going to this might sound stupid. Am I going to let my investors down? I that wanna, doesn't sound stupid. I want to be successful for my investors now. It's become a lot more about them, success for them, because my daily success is not success for them. They need a payout. So I feel scared at times, like, am I doing enough to make sure that 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 they're going to get their payout? Like, I, I, as you know, I've talked about I have one main investor who has been so incredibly supportive, and I care deeply about 
him having a success with this because he's believed in me. So that I get scared around that sometimes. Um, I get, I, I think that's probably the only time I get scared, real scared. Um, sometimes if I travel by myself and I go down a dark alley, sometimes I get scared, but like from a, yeah, from a, that's the thing where I think I would feel, I I can get sort of overwhelmed. Yeah. Just worrying. Am I doing enough? Yeah. And, um, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to also learn about the other side of you. Like, tell us about some of your work as your nonprofit and mm-hmm. giving back um, interests and things that our passion plays outside of dry and outside of the kids. So for me, uh, I have, since I was in college, I sort of learned about this concept of microdevelopment in third world countries where you're helping, in particular, women uh, be able to make a living or have a little company or for wh- whatever. And so I've always had a deep passion for that. So um, last year I got involved in the Aliados Foundation, which works with the indigenous people in the Amazon and the Andes, in particular in Ecuador. And it helps them be able to utilize products out of their land that they have through sort of their um, the, their natural way of doing things and bring products to to the market. And so they can have um, they can have sustainable business. And so it's. It, it's been a really powerful thing for me. I knew that I would care a lot about the people part of it. I think what I didn't recognize how much I would care about it was the environmental piece of it. Being um, in the jungle and being in the Amazon was it's been an incredibly powerful experience for me. And I'm a, definitely an outdoors person and care about the earth. But being there just sort of changed my insides almost. So to be able to marry those two things... I'm really passionate about. And so, you know, that's why I'm going back down there to be with the indigenous people for my 50th birthday. I know. I'm so, sad. I'm not going to be with you. You were invited. Me. I know. I'm beyond <laughs> sad. But so um, how did you know how to do that? Like you just said, okay, I'm passionate. And then you researched it? No. Nope. Or you created it? Nope. So what happened is I had a pretty powerful moment a year, and it was a year and a half ago, when the whole um, immigrant children thing came up, the children at the border. It was, it just, it tore my soul apart, like in a way that I just, I I didn't know quite what to do about it. And I had this epiphany that day that I'm like, I need to give back. I need to truly give back in a, in a very concrete way. And the very next day I had dinner with a friend of mine who uh, started this foundation and started the company. As a matter of fact, the group I was with last night was how I met him was through this Founders Forum group. And he was telling me about it and how they need board members. And I was like, and so I was telling him my – well, no, first I was telling him my story, and he was like, oh, my gosh, Sherelle, this is, like, this is amazing because we would, could really use you on the board for this very specific reason about how we actually bring products to market. And so – So what are the products that they're bringing to market? So there's different things. There's Yusa tea. There's peanuts. There's cinnamon. Um, there's some just different sort of natural things like that that you – that um, coloring, like there's a special coloring, mm-hmm. day, I think it's called. Um and so, and it last year, Dry was having a really rough year, and I made the decision that I said, okay, well, I'm going to go to Ecuador and check this out. And I made reservations three weeks later, and I was like, I can't believe I'm leaving the company in the middle of all of this. Um, but I went down, and I had this incredible experience being in the jungle and meeting these indigenous people and seeing what an impact this has on their lives and what an impact it had on my life. So it's what I would really like to do in my future is spend more time um, around that. But I'm really grateful I get to do work on that now. 
That's super cool. And also on your Airstream, which I'm super oh, jealous yeah. of and want to go on. So you bought that. Yeah, I bought the Airstream, yep. And you go like to spend time. I know that you like to travel by yourself. I do. What do you get out of that? For me, if I'm this curious, I'm sure there's other women or other mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. that would learn from that experience. So what I get out of it, I, as you know, I'm very extroverted, but I'm an extrovert that needs a lot of time alone. And it is just this opportunity to really hang out with yourself and just experience things. You experience things in such a deeper way to me when you're by yourself and you don't have any distractions. You're not just chit-chatting. You're like, I mean, so, you know, I do a lot of international trips by myself and and I I just get to do everything on my time at my speed. So like when I was in Kyoto during um, the Cherry Blossom Festival last year, I sat alongside a river for three hours. I couldn't do that if someone was with me because who's going to sit by that river with me? But I was watching the right. cranes. I was watching the, the the pretty girls going by in their dresses. You know, they were all dressed up. The and I and I I just love that. And so with the airstream, I can go out and I wanted I after my experience, I came back from my experience in the jungle and re- realized how much I wanted to be in out in nature because that was also just filled me up in a way that I didn't realize it did. And so that's where the Airstream came in. So I can go camping by myself because I am too scared to go camping in a tent. I'm not like Cheryl Strayed. From up. I can't do that, but I have the airstream. Well, a lot of and women I don't think would go just even in an airstream by themselves. So well, I the door locks, cool. and I'm bringing the German Shepherd. But I also my dream is to actually when I before you I said the Grand Canyon, but really where I'd like to take my airstream is to uh, Patagonia. I'd oh, like to drive wow. it all the way down. So that I mean I don't know that I'll ever do that, but I that's a I I think I might. That would be absolutely incredible. And so, um, if you're not in the airstream and you're not able to travel and you're not able to kind of get um, out of the city, how mm-hmm. do you find kind of day to day time to unwind? I read. Yeah. So books are my my books are my favorite things that I have. Um, I I share that with my daughter Willa. It's something that's really special to us. We always go to bookstores. We were just at the Strand in New York. I like all kinds of books. Travel books, though, yeah, are some of my favorites. And I've been reading a lot about women who travel through countries by themselves. So I'm reading about a woman right now who's riding a motorcycle through Iran. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I, as we've talked about Iran, Iran is a really important country to, to my family, and I'd like to. Yeah. I don't think I'd ride a motorcycle through it, though. I'm going to be honest. I'd take the Airstream, but I'm not taking a motorcycle. I'm not that brave. I don't even know if I'd go. I'd be scared. Yeah. And so also I want to know how becoming a grandma has changed you because oh, I'm tripped out. This is but... my favorite topic in the world. Um, being a grandma has been the greatest experience. And and I'll talk about Gia in a minute. Gia Sherelle. She is my granddaughter. But it is watching my daughter become a mom is I, – I don't even have words for it. She's 22 years old. She has – she was in college she finished her college degree. She is now going to work for the Seahawks. She has made all of her dreams come true. I have watched her. All while being a mom, which is All while so being cool. a mom. And she is the most incredible mom. She is so in love with this child. And to watch her delight in Gia every single day and to watch also these young women. So it was kind of this like crazy thing, right? She was a sorority girl that got pregnant by the football player. And that was supposed to be this big shameful thing. And to me, it was absolutely not. And I think it has been so beautiful to watch all of her sorority friends and all everyone and not just sorority friends, but guy friends and everybody come around Gia at the University of Oregon and help with her. And it was it like takes a village. And these kids are there. Gia's first birthday, there was 50 college kids at her birthday party and they had their little meet and greet with their photos with Gia and these are her people 
That's so cool. And I'm like, I think we and can all learn. what a gift learn. that you gave. That's from you. Well, I think we can all learn from my daughter that being a mom can come in very many different ways. And I think that sometimes we think younger moms. And being moms, a family can yeah, come in being different a, ways. Yeah, for sure. And so to have watched that has been incredible. And Gia is one of the most secured just secure, loving. I mean, she's just a really great kid. She's super easy. I think my daughter got very lucky there, but she's also incredibly secure. And I think that says a lot about my daughter and how, what kind of mom she is to her. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's, as you know, has been just the greatest thing for me and she's coming home tonight. And I, I, and the, the other thing that happens when you have a grandchild is you fall in love with them. It's like falling in love. I think with our kids, we just instantly love them. And there's a very powerful love. This is a little bit different. It really, it literally feels like falling in love. So as you know, I didn't date at all last year. Because I'm like, well, I'm in love. I don't need. I I, I didn't want to leave Gia. There was just there wasn't going to be any guy out there good enough to for take me that to, time to take time away from Gia, which That's is funny. The sweetest thing ever. <laughs> well, you've got so many things that um, you could say to this question, but I always ask at the end, what fuels you? What fuels me? Okay, this is it, it's. There's two things. I'm going to say two things, and one of them is really super cheesy, um, but one is just new experiences. I just I love learning and I love doing new things. And that seeing doesn't new sound things. cheesy at all. That's not the cheesy one. Oh, I'm like uh, that's <laughs> cheesy, me too. So cheesy one, cheesy, <laughs> cheesy ones coming up. So that that fuels me. That is why in, in my team, my team fuels me because they teach me new things every day. Yeah. So um, the cheesy one is. I really get filled up just by laughing. As you know, I love to well, laugh. You've got a gut laugh. Well, we laugh a lot when we're together, yes. and I love laughing with my kids and my friends and at work. It's just a big part of my day. So that's my favorite podcasts are usually funny ones, and like just I like to laugh. So that you're, fuels me. Because you're funny and you're fun and also super inspiring. And I always tell you this off the uh, podcast, but on the podcast, I'm just going to say publicly – you always inspire me, like oh, always, truly. Really like, kind you're, of you. but you're just one of these people that you do you. Yeah. How they say, you know, <laughs> you do you, and you do the mommy thing well. You do the the work thing well, and um, I think anybody who could learn from you is lucky. Like oh, for real. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Bye. Peace. <laughs> Peace out. Peace out. <laughs> thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. 